I'm going to be in Mark, the fourth chapter this morning. So if you want to turn there. Give you a few minutes to get there. This is probably an area of scripture that you're probably familiar with. You've probably read it a few times. Most people are more familiar with the New Testament than they are the Old Testament. That's okay. Because those are the things that happened with this in relationship to Jesus and 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 that's what's interesting. I like the New Testament, but I also like the no- Old Testament because I can some of the things in the Old Testament helps me to understand the New Testament. And so we've got to have the whole package. But this morning we're going to be in Mark, the fourth chapter, beginning with verse 35. On the evening of the same day, Jesus said to his disciples, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they left the crowd. The disciples got into the boat in which Jesus was already sitting, and they took him with them, and other boats were there too. Suddenly a strong wind blew up, and the, we- the waves began to spill over into the boat so that it was about to fill with water. Jesus was in the back of the boat, sleeping with his head on a pillow. The disciples woke him up and said, Teacher, don't you care that we are about to die? And Jesus stood up and commanded the wind, Be quiet. And he said to the waves, Be still. The wind died down, and there was a great calm. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Why are you frightened? Do you still have no faith? Now, I'm only going to deal this morning with just part, first part of this uh, scripture. About, he says, let us go to the other side. Now, Jesus was saying that to them at that time, and they just had a good day of um, ministering. Jesus had ministered all day. He had three parables that, in that same chapter just before. So he had been preaching all day, and they'd been having a good time. And now Jesus said, let's go to the other side. And when Jesus says something, it wasn't a request. It wasn't like, uh, do you want to go to the other side? He didn't say, do you want to go to the other side? He says, let's go to the other side. And that same thing he's telling us this morning. Let's go to the other side. God, Jesus wants us on the other side. Now, what is the other side? What is the other side in our life spiritually? For each one of us, it may be something different. To some of us, the other side may be getting a better prayer life. Maybe to some of us, it might be reading God's word more. Maybe to the other side, to some of us, is talking about Jesus to someone that you know that you should be talking to about Jesus. It doesn't matter what that other side is. Jesus is commanding us to go to the other side, to get, go from point A to point B. As Christians, we're not supposed to be staying in one place. God wants, Jesus wants us to go across the other side. If we're stagnant, if we're not going forward, then we're going backwards. Because the river of God is flowing. And if you've ever been in a river, you know that if you throw a piece of wood in the river, it doesn't just stay there, it moves. And if you're in a portion of the river that stays and doesn't move anywhere, it gets stagnant. And when it gets stagnant, what happens to the water? The mosquitoes start laying their eggs there, and it becomes a, a stinky area of the water, of the area of the lake, someplace you wouldn't want to be. Well, that same thing happens in our life, too. God said, Jesus says, go to the other side. He wants us to get in the river and go to the other side. And we have to decide, are we going to do that? <clears throat> now, some of it might be just an opening, just to worship God when we come to church. That's a hard thing for some people. They come to church and they just figure they're just supposed to sit there 
and not do anything. Don't do any. Don't get excited. Whatever you do, don't get excited in church. Whatever you do, don't do that. <laughs> so some of us, it might just be being able to, to sing praises to God while we're doing worship time. Instead of just sitting there wondering what you're going to have for dinner, maybe it'd be nice to dwell upon the words that we're singing. That'd be nice. Some of us, that is the other side for us. If we can just start out Sunday morning worshiping God, that might be the other side. Instead of thinking about what we're having for dinner or what we're going to do tomorrow or what I have to do this afternoon and all the chores that I have to do to focus on God. The other side might be just coming to church and worshiping God, to separating Him, His day, from all the other things in our life. That might be just the other side for us. And sometimes it's not an easy journey to get to the other side. It wasn't for the disciples. <clears throat> Mark, uh, verse 36, it says, So they left the crowd. Disciples got into the boat in which Jesus was already sitting, and they took him with them. And other boats were there too. See, the disciples, in order to get to the other side that Jesus told them, let's go to the other side, they had to leave the crowd behind. Now, this was a wonderful day for the disciples because, hey, man, Jesus was popular. And it was kind of fun dwelling and bathing in the, in the popularity of Jesus. Because if you've ever been to a rock concert or been to all these, some of these big events where they have a band, everybody wants to be with a band or get their picture taken with a, with a movie star or with a football player or whatever it is. That's kind of the environment the disciples had here. Man, all the people were gathered around Jesus and everybody wanted to be near him and say, hey, I'm with him. I'm the disciple. So all of this area or this environment was something that they really wouldn't have wanted to leave. But they had to leave the crowd behind. They had to leave everything that was there behind. You know, that had been a good time in a church service to collect an offering, wouldn't it? Everybody's all excited about Jesus and his parables and his teaching and his ministry. That had been a good time taking an offering up. Instead of leaving it, man, I don't want to leave this. Man, this is, this is nice here. I like here. I like being popular. We all like being popular, don't we? I'd rather be popular and have people not like me, wouldn't you? Well, here the disciples were, you know, and, and the disciples, man, that was the in-group. You have these groupies, you know, that follow rock bands and things like that. They're groupies. But, man, the disciples, man, they were in the inner group. And so they got to bathe in all the popularity of, of Jesus. They got to share in that while they were here. But if they wanted to go to the other side like Jesus commanded them to, they had to leave all that behind. They had to leave all that fun, all that popularity behind. What are we going to have to leave behind? If we want to go to the other side, there's going to be some things that we're going to have to forsake. We're going to have to turn our back on some things in our life in order to go to the other side. Because the other side's ahead of us and everything else is behind us. Maybe it's the crowds. Maybe we're going to have to leave some crowds behind in order to to do what, get to the other side and do what God wants us to do. If God wants you to, if going to the other side is having a better prayer life, then you're going to have to leave the TV behind a little bit, aren't we? We're going to have to start changing our lives a little bit and doing some things differently in order to be able to get to the other side. Because we want to get there. No matter what, I don't think there's anybody in here that says, I don't want to get there. Ultimately, the other side is heaven. But it's a journey. We're right, we have to... In your Christian life, it's one place from point A to point B, very goal-oriented. You go from here to here to here to here to here to here, just like a road map. We had to go to um, <clears throat> uh, Prescott this last week, down there and back in one day, and oh, that's a long way to go for one day, five hour, over five hours each way for a half-hour, 40-minute half meeting. That was a long ways to go. <laughs> 
But we have this GPS thing that tells us where to go. And it doesn't tell you the whole thing all at once. It tells you one step at a time where to go. You go on Highway 89 for X amount of miles, 195 miles or 196 miles, and then you do something else. But that's all they give you. They just give you the one step at a time. And that's what God gives us is one step at a time. He doesn't show us the whole picture. Of course, we see heaven in the, in the distance, and we know that's where we want to go. But he doesn't show us everything all, all at once. Number one, it scares us to death, probably, if it, some of the things, places God wanted us to go. It probably scares us to death. So he just gives us one step at a time. And this GPS system, if, if you're ever familiar with GPS systems, if you don't make the right turn, then all of a sudden that woman on that little GPS gets mad at you. Oh, man, they sit there, and she gets with a real disgruntled uh, expression in her voice, and she says, recalculating, recalculating. And then it ding, ding, dings thing. says, go, continue forward for half a mile, and turn left and make a U-turn, because they want you to make sure they get you back to where you want to be. And that's what God does with us, too. He wants us to go to the other side. And sometimes we, we do it, and we're really good, and we make all the right turns, and we make all the right decisions, and we get there. But more times than not, we don't. I make a lot of things where I hear God saying, recalculating. Except I don't think he does it in a disgruntled voice like this, this woman on this GPS does. You know, sometimes you're sitting there, and if you want to go somewhere specifically, and you know you're not on the route, she doesn't care. <laughs> And she just irritates you. Finally, you just turn her off. But <laughs> and she just, I know, I know, I know. And they don't give up. Every 30 seconds. And, and miss one line, then it's another half a mile. There's another half a mile, another half a mile. We decided we want to go a different way. And we figured sooner or later she would get it, that we don't want to go that way. <laughs> she didn't finally had to turn it off and reprogram it to go, you know, to a different direction. But, man, she's bound and determined. We're going to come all the way back this way because we went through the park. We went through 89A instead of 89. And if you're where we live, that's kind of not the shortest distance to go. So we were all the way to the, almost to the Grand Canyon. She still wants me to turn around and go this way. <laughs> Just amazes me. Think they'd catch up, but they don't. They got to find set in stone how you're supposed to go. Well, sometimes that's the way God is with us. <clears throat> he has a way that he wants us to go and to get there. God has a way that he wants us to go. And sometimes if we miss the turn, he wants to get us back there. And sometimes it's a long journey back to where he wants us to go. It's kind of like when you hit a home run. In baseball, you have to touch every base. If you miss a base, hey, it doesn't matter if you made it all the way to home. You've got to get back there and touch that base again. And you have to touch them in the same order, in the correct order. It isn't that you just touch the bases. You have to touch them in the correct order. You can't go to first to third and home you got to hit second, and you can't go to, from uh, the home to second to first at home. It has to go first, second, third, fourth. Maybe that's why they numbered them that way. Well, the same thing is with God. He wants us to go a certain direction, and he wants us to go to point A first. He wants us to go to first base, then second base, then third base, then fourth base, or home. And that's where we're going. I don't know what base we're on in our life. Some of us are on different bases. But eventually, we're all going to be home. And that's where we want to go, the other side. <laughs> that's where we want to be. But God has a way of getting us there because he knows which way we need to go. He is the one that's directing us. 
And we, he wants us to go a certain way. And to get there, we have to be willing to make some choices in our life. And we're going to have to forsake some things. Maybe it's uh, our time. Maybe it's people. Who knows? I don't know what it might be. But there's some things in our life that maybe is keeping us from going to point A to point B. Maybe there's sin in our life that's keeping us from going to the other side. We need to let God deal with that and confess it and get rid of it. And then that's out of the way. We'll let it forsake our sin. We want to do that. Our schedule. Sometimes our schedules are so tight, we don't have time for God. And what's really pathetic is a lot of Christians don't have time for God. And what's even more pathetic is a lot of ministers don't have time for God. They're so busy doing God's work, they don't have time for God. And if we don't have time for God, we're too busy. That's the reality of it. I have to schedule time to spend in prayer, and I have to schedule time to do things. Otherwise, we wouldn't do them. You know, it'd be so nice just get up there and sit and drink my coffee and in the morning and forget about doing anything, just sit there all day and do nothing. <laughs> or watch TV all day. Wow! Sundays, you know, we get to watch football. Yay, football! <laughs> but sometimes we have to schedule things in order to get them done. And that's what we need to do sometimes, especially in this society. I know years ago, um, Franklin, the, those, uh, what are they called? Those day planners? The day planners, they were very popular because people needed to organize their days. And I had those, and I thought, well, man, what's the sense of having these big things with all these spaces you've got to fill out? I don't want my life that oriented, you know? Every half hour, they've got a place that you're supposed to write something in. I don't, didn't like that. I don't like that regimented. But it'd be nice to be able to play. We have to plan in God in our lives. And I usually do most of my praying at night. I figure I could sacrifice the news and late night TV to pray. <laughs> and it makes your sleep a lot better. I've decided that. Because sometimes I don't. Sometimes I'll switch it up a little bit because I don't want to get into a monotonous. But generally I do my praying around, you know, from 10 to 11.30 at night. <clears throat> That's a good time because very few people call at that time of night. Generally, so I, basically it's a good time. But I have to schedule that time. If I try to schedule it in a, a different time, the sooner or later things always happen. Because you never know what's going to happen during the day, especially when people are up and around. So anyway, we have to schedule our time. And maybe it's someone that's keeping us from getting where God wants us to be. There are a lot of people sometimes in our life, especially as Christians, that we need to forsake. There are a lot of people that, that when we're around them, it, we get in trouble. There are a lot of people that our kids get around. If they just stay away from that particular friend, they'd be okay. But they get around that family or that kids, and man, I'll tell you, they get in trouble. Our son, when they were growing up, we lived next door to, um, they had a kid, son that was the same age as our kids. And I'm a kidding they, they get Every time they got together, they got in trouble. I thought, man, how do you keep them apart when they live right next door? It was a nightmare. But sometimes as Christians, we can make better decisions. Of course, sometimes when you get saved, God makes those decisions for you. Because <laughs> when we got saved, we lost a lot of friends. We didn't have to worry about forsaking them. They forsook us. They didn't like being around us no more. You guys aren't no fun around, to be around no more. If you're not going to drink crowds, we don't want to be around you. So sometimes God does that for us. But sometimes we have to make that decision. What are we willing to do? What are we willing to give up in order to get to the other side? Because that's the reality. We have to be willing to give something up. Uh, verse uh, Matthew 16, 24 says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. We have to be willing to give up everything for Christ. That's the requirement. If we don't know that, then why would he not, why does he tell us to take up a cross? 
Now, when, in, when he spoke this, everybody knew what a cross was. And that wasn't a fun thing to do. It wasn't like anybody that follows me could come here and get my little Cadillac. You get a keys to the Cadillac and you can follow me. I don't want was. He says a cross. And that's one of the worst things that you could do. I don't want no cross. But that's what he said in this verse. And spiritual greatness will cost you something. It always does. That's the reality of it. Anything worth having is worth fighting for, worth investing in. That's the reality of it. You're not going to be able to go to work come tomorrow morning and go in the office or the break room and sit there all day and think you're going to get paid. They expect you to do something while you're there. Well, God expects us to do something because he put us on the payroll. And when we get to the other side, the final other side, he's going to pay us. And it's going to, we're going to say, wow, if I'd only known how wonderful this was going to be, I'd have done more stuff. <laughs> so now I, to, <clears throat> for, let's imagine that there's a homeless man in the streets of New York City. And you're sitting there and you're seeing this scene and here comes a big black limousine to New York City and he goes into the, the, the disgruntled area of town that they have and he pulls up to this homeless man and he says, uh, I want to hire you to be vice president of my company. But you have to give up everything in order to get in the car. Now we think, well, that's kind of ridiculous. There's no way in the world that something like that would happen. But isn't that what happened with God and us? Isn't that what God did for us? He pulled up in a big black limousine and offered us a high position in his kingdom. But see, we have to forsake everything in order to get it. We have to be willing to give up everything in order and get in the car. That's what God asked us to do. See, we were homeless and God gave us a home. We were the, the dregs of the world. Anybody that's a sinner, we know what we are when we come to Christ. I knew how lost I was when I came to Christ because that's why I came. I was lost. And he gave us, gave me everything that I would ever need my whole life. And he's, willing, he's given it to you too. But see, so that scene isn't really that much, that outrageous. But we have to be willing to give up everything to get in the car. Now let's say this holy man sneers at him and decides, man, I don't think I like this. Now he didn't have... Maybe the best life, he lived on the street, but it was something he was familiar with, wasn't it? It was something he lived with. At least he knew how to live on the streets. He didn't know what something else was going to have, so he kind of turns around. He doesn't want to do that. Now, why? we think, well, why wouldn't he want to do that? Well, first of all, the reason he might not is because he's familiar with the things of the environment. Sometimes we're not willing to get in the vehicle or get in the car with Christ and go to the other side because we're familiar with the situation we're in in our life. We're kind of comfortable here. May not be the best life, may not, you know, be the all right, but I know what it is, and I know what I'm going to do. The second reason, maybe, is because he had a very, he had a few possessions in the cart. Maybe not a lot, but if you know these homeless people, this is all they have. They're very possessive of it. Man, that's their stuff. And he'd have to push everything, all that stuff aside and get into a car with just the clothes on your back. Man, that's something. And maybe he didn't want to do that. Man, I like those possessions. And he couldn't see beyond that. And thirdly, was for the first time in his life, maybe he would have to work. Some people don't want to work. <laughs> There's a lot of people that are unemployed because they can't find a job, and others because they don't want to work. They want a free handout. They want to go uh, have somebody give them the stuff. And that's why a lot of programs now are so popular, because everybody wants something free. They was interviewing someone in Chicago or somebody, I don't know where it was, I think it was Chicago, 
these interviewers on the street was asking her, they, people were coming to get some money or something for a program that oh, they had instituted. And uh, they says, um, what are you here for? He says, well, we're going to come and get some Obama money. And they, he said, well, where is Obama going to get it from? Oh, I don't know. They just stole my Obama money. I want the Obama money. They didn't know where they came from. They didn't care. All they wanted was the money. <laughs> Isn't that right? They don't care. They don't realize that it's us that's giving her that money, but she don't look at that. She thinks that much money that Obama has to give to everybody. And we get a lot of people who want to do that free handout. Hey, I'm all right for a free handout. But don't give me any responsibility. Don't ask me to work for a living. Don't ask me to do anything. Don't ask me to be responsible. Hey, that's probably why he didn't want to get in a car. That's why there's so many of us, many people won't get saved today. They don't want the responsibility. They're happy with their life. They're content with the way things are. They don't want any of that other stuff. And so the guy, he, well, I don't want to do this. So he shuffles on down the road. When an opportunity is right there before him to make all his dreams, all his wishes, and everything in his life come true. All he has to do is forsake what little bit of stuff he has and get in a car. Man, if we could just get this across to the people that we know, all you got to do is get in a car. Your possessions, you think that they're great and they're wonderful, but God has so much more for us. He wants to give us. He's given us so much more, but they don't see that. All they see is, oh, man, I have to give up my, I have to give up my, uh, oh, man, I have to give up my Sundays. Man, I have to go to church on Sunday. Man, then I have to go to church on Wednesday nights, too. Man, I don't know. I, my favorite show comes on Wednesday nights. And Sunday, there's football on all day long. Man, I might miss a game. They're not willing to give up anything in order to have what we have. But to be a Christian is something that we're going to have to do. We have to give up something. If we don't, or if we're not willing to, then that's the thing that's gonna, that God's going to require of us. Whatever we're hanging on to so tight, whatever it is, that's what God's going to require of us. And as soon as we come to God, he, may, he opens our hands, and it doesn't matter. I've never given up anything to be a Christian. I haven't given up one thing to be a Christian. There's just some things I don't want to do anymore. I don't want to go out drinking and carousing around. I don't want to do that anymore. So if I don't want to do it, did I give it up? That's what people don't understand. All they think of see is the things that they have to do. And that's why they don't like religion. They think it's just a bunch of rules and regulations and somebody telling you, don't do this, don't do that, and don't do this. They don't understand Christianity. And it's up to us to help explain it to them, to help them understand that I didn't give up anything. I let go of some things that was, uh, I didn't want to do anymore. And what did I get in return? Hey, look what I'm going to gain. I'm going to gain a wonderful position in the kingdom. Wealth beyond any understanding that we can comprehend. Blessings, crowns. We don't understand all this stuff. All I know is I want to be there. I want to be there just for the food, if no other reason. <clears throat> don't you? Man, I like to eat. I'm going for the food. Man, I'm looking forward to that banquet. Mmm. We have our dog, when you give it certain things, <clears throat> when she sees you with an orange, she goes crazy. She loves oranges. And she'll sit there and she'll see you with an orange and she'll just sit there and look at you and the drool will just come out of her face, out of her mouth. And if she happens to be on your, sit, stand there looking at you, because she usually gets pretty close when you got an orange. Sitting there and the, you can look up and she's drooled all over your leg. 
that's the way I want to be about heaven and the food up there. Man, I'm drooling already, so I'm excited about going there. But see, I have to get to the other side. I have to get according to this, this map that God has got for my life, and I have to go point A, point B, point C, point D, all these other places before I'm going to get there. And I have to be willing to do that. <clears throat> uh, verse 36 says, Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. <clears throat> Now, when we accept Christ as our Savior, we have to take him the way that he is, not the way that we want him to be. Some people think Jesus is just this wonderful Godfather up there that we just ask him for stuff and he gives us all this stuff and that's all he is. And we want to take him until he starts telling us, hey, I don't want you doing this anymore. I don't want you doing that anymore. So we don't like those kind of things about Jesus, but we need to understand that Jesus hates sin. And he loves those who are hard to love. We have a hard time with those that are hard to love, don't we? But Jesus doesn't. He forgives unconditionally. And he wants us to do that. <clears throat> he wants to reach out to the hurting people. And he wants to be able to meet the needs of people. So when we accept Christ and we take him just like he is, he wants us to be the, like that too. And we have to understand that. Because we want to take him where it's convenient for us and we want to be able to uh, do the things that we want to do. But sometimes being a Christian, I say, gets in the way. Because we have our, our way and then we have God's way. And we want to need to want, we have to do things God's way in order for it to prosper. In order for us to be happy. And we don't understand that. So when we, when we see Jesus, we think, well, man, he just loves people just like me. So, and if he just loves people just like me, then I'm only going to reach out to people just like me. But Jesus reaches out to all people. Everyone, it doesn't matter who they are. God loves everyone, and he loves us all the same. It doesn't matter. You know, you look at some people that are hard to love, and you think, man, how could anybody love that? Have you heard the expression, that kid's got a face only a mother could love? <laughs> Have you seen kids like that sometimes? Well, Jesus loves that kid as much as he loves us, just as much as all the cutest little babies you've ever seen in your life. And, of course, we know all those cutest little babies you've ever seen in your life are all my kids. And my grandkids. <laughs> but see, God loves us all the same. And we need to understand that. And because he loves us all the same, he wants us to reach out to everyone the same. He wants us to help the hurting people. That's what we're here for. In order to get across the other side, we need to go through the same things that Jesus did. Follow Jesus' life. If you know, want to know what Jesus wants you to do, what his will for your life is, what did he do? And do it. Uh, verse 36 again, it says, Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. Even though they left the, cra the, the crowd behind, there were some of them that wanted to, be, to follow Jesus anyway. So they, had, they were in boats with them. They followed him right in boats. So we understand that sometimes, to get around the other side, when we go from point A to point B, people are going to follow us. Maybe not all of them. Maybe not all the ones that we would love to follow us, but there's going to be some people that's going to follow us. We had some friends that did follow us, and they're on their way to heaven, same as we are. They accepted Christ as their Savior. The percentage of our friends wasn't very high, but we got two of them, two of our best friends that is, that is serving God today. The others that we had that were pretty close friends, they didn't. But we got some of them, so some of, us is going to, some of them are going to follow you. And when you serve God... Some of your family, some of your friends are going to follow you. 
I reminded him there was a, a missionary, his name was John Getty, and he went to Antom in 1948. And this was a way out of the way place that we, you know, I had to look it up, find out where it was at, because I'd never heard of it before. But when he went there, and then he left, they erected a, a monument or a, whatever you want to call it in his honor, and on this is engraved the words, when he landed in 1848, there were no Christians. When he left in 1872, there were no heathen. Now, man, isn't that an impact you want to make? <laughs> man, I want to make a difference, don't you? And I want to make it. Man, I'd love to make an impact like that. That'd be exciting, wouldn't it? Then they put Trinity Church made this difference in this community. When Trinity Church was here, there wasn't any saved. When afterwards the whole community got saved, we had a revival and we had the whole town is here. Wouldn't that be exciting? Well, I believe it can happen. If you can't believe it'll happen, it won't. That's the reality of it. Because God gives us the faith to, to believe things, and I believe God can do anything. I can believe that God can fill this church up, and I believe we can build a church that will serve 500 people and fill it. And we have to build more. Because there's that many people around here, isn't there? Isn't there more than that here? That are, how many people do you know that aren't going to church anywhere? How many people do you know that aren't saved? Well, as soon as an outpouring of God comes to an area, people's lives change. And all of a sudden, they're fighting over themselves trying to get into a church. Remember 9-11? I don't know what this church looked like after 9-11 because I wasn't here. But man, the church, whoever churches throughout the nation, man, everybody was going to church. All of a sudden, they wanted to know about God. And the way things are going, I think it's going to happen again. That's the reality of it because the, the uh, terrorists, they want to kill us. And we need to face that reality. So we have to try, put our confidence in God every day to, for protection and for our protection of our family and everything because we don't know what's going to happen. But if something happens, God's going to use that. And it might be something like that that draws people into this church. I'd have no idea. But whatever God wants to use to save people, I'm for, especially my family. I say, God, I don't care what you have to do to my family to save them. I don't care what it takes. Lord, do it. And that's what we need to do in this community. I don't care what it takes, God. I don't care what I have to do. Whatever you want me to do, just show me. And I'll do it. Because we, I want to reach this community. I want to reach the, uh, this area for Christ. I want to make a difference. I want people to follow me. And I, as I follow Christ, amen? Now, people are watching our lives. Every day, they're watching our lives. We may not know it, but they are. And every time you mess up, you know they're watching you because they say, I didn't know Christians could do that. You ever heard those words? <laughs> I've heard them a time or two in my life. And sometimes they got had it all wrong because that's the way Christians are supposed to act. They think that sometimes when we stand up against sin, that Christians aren't supposed to act like that. Well, I'm going to tell you we are. We're supposed to stand up against sin. We're supposed to stand up and, and call things wrong that God calls wrong. Not just saying, well, I'm a Christian. I better just sit back here and just let it go on. Because sooner or later, if we quit standing up and we quit talking about it and we quit fighting against things, we're going to be out of, a, out of luck because it's going to get worse before it gets better. But see, the, the nice thing is that if we as Christians understand that, we can do something about it. They're passing legislation that I don't think is right, but you know we've got to pray against it. We've got to pray that God's righteousness will reign. I believe it can happen. I do. God brought unrighteous people into office. He can take them out. And I pray that God will take out the unrighteous rulers and put in righteous rulers because that's all it takes. 
Look at the Old Testament. You see it throughout Israel. Every time they had a righteous king, man, righteousness ruled in Israel. Every time they got an unrighteous king, man, they went in the toilet. <laughs> and I believe that same thing can happen in America. In, uh, but people are watching our life. In Acts, the seventh chapter, we'll read a couple verses there. <clears throat> this is another area that you're probably familiar with. The seventh chapter, starting in verse 60, it says, The Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation, and they shook their fists at him in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into the heavens and saw the glory of God, and he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, Look, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at the right, God's right hand. Then he put their hands, they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. And uh, chapter 8, verse 1 says, Saul was the one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. There was persecution back in those days. And I'll tell you, there's going to be persecuted in here. Maybe you're in a position where you're being persecuted. But when, you're, when the rocks are hitting you, when the accusations are thrown at you, and when you're sitting there, you need to, number one, look up and see God standing at the right hand of the Father because he's still in charge. He's in the right place of authority. But also you need to realize that one day there might be a Saul standing there. That God wants to change his name to Paul. There might be a Paul standing there watching the persecuted and watching how you are respond to it. How do you respond when people treat you bad? How do you respond when people accuse you about the things you don't do? How do you respond? We don't know. What, who, the people that are going to watch you, watching our lives, and we don't know what impact they're going to make. Because maybe, it, maybe our impact is being a good testimony to somebody else, and they're the impact they're going to make. Stephen didn't know the impact that Paul would made on that stoning of Stephen, man, that was quite a, quite a deal, the first Christian martyr. And Paul was standing there, and he wanted to get rid of all the Christians and kill everybody. And nobody would have ever dreamed back then that he would have turned into the guy that he was. But where would we be without a Paul? Well, Paul's life was influenced by this incident with Stephen. And God used this incident, this persecution, and this to his ultimate death to influence a young man that God had other plans for. And there are people watching our lives today that God wants to use for his kingdom. And we don't know which one of them is going to be a Paul. We don't know which one's going to be a Peter. We have no way of knowing. We probably won't know until we get to heaven the influence our life has had on some people. Stephen didn't know what influence that, that one incident was going to be. But he wanted... He, Followed God, and irregardless of the persecution, irregardless of the consequences, he was willing to make that choice and make that stand because there was a Paul there. And God used him wonderfully for the kingdom. And when you make a decision to get, go to the other side spiritually, we need to get in the boat. That's the first thing we need to do. If you've ever been on a cruise ship, they do these um, boat drills in case there's something happens with the ship, so you have to know where to go to get into a lifeboat. Now, if you get in a reg uh, situation where you need a lifeboat and you're in the water, you don't care what that captain of that ship wants you to do. You just want to get in the boat. You want to get saved. 
And you don't sit there and say, yeah, I'll let you save me under these conditions, under these circumstances. Now, I get to sit next to the captain, and I get to be the one that passes out the orders. You tell me, and I'll tell them. We don't get to make those decisions. All we want to do is get in the boat. (laughs) That's all we care about, getting in the boat and getting out of the water and being saved. That's all we care about. And once you're in the boat, then you're sitting there looking out over the water, and you're seeing if there's anyone else out there that you can help. If there anybody else need help, then you want to sit there and help get them in the boat. And you know, when you help people in the boat, you're going to get wet. That's the reality of it. There's going to be some times you're going to get wet. There's going to be some times you try to help people, and if you ever tried to save somebody that's been swimming or trying to even goofing off with them, man, I'll tell you, they're flinging their hands and their feet and all these other kind of things because they don't know that you're there to help them or you're goofing around with them. And lifeguards, when you study to be a lifeguard, you have to be able to counteract that. Somebody flailing in the water and, and how to deal with somebody that they want to be saved, but they want to be saved their way. And we have to know how to deal with that. And God will do that for us if we will just be willing to be able to reach out into the water and help other people. Well, we want to get to the other side. I want to get to the other side. But to get there, I had to be willing to forsake some things. And I have to take Jesus just the way he is and let him influence my life and not me try to influence his life because he isn't going to change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the same things he required of the disciples, he required of us. And then I want to make a difference. Don't you? I want to make a difference. But I want to get to the other side. Whatever it takes, I want to get there. I want to let God direct me and guide me to get me from point A to point B because the other side is where he wants me to be. And I want to be there. Heads bowed, eyes closed. First, tell me, Father, Lord, I thank you for this day, Lord, and I thank you for everyone that is here this morning. And I know that we all want to get to the other side. We all want to make a difference in this world. We all want to reach out to people, Lord, and be able to, to do what you want us to do. But we know, Lord, we have to follow you. And I just ask, Lord, that you'd help us to do that. Help us do that this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, you know, there's some things in my life that I know that I need to, to do in order to get to the other side. I want to get to, point to the other side, but I need, know that I need to, to get rid of some things. I need to forsake some things. I need to... Take Jesus the way that he is and let him lead my life and be willing to do that. Is that you this morning? If it is, raise your hand and say, I'm acknowledging that I want to get to the other side. Thank you. And I want to make a difference in this world. I want to make a difference to my family. I want to make a difference to, to the people that come around me. And I want to get in the boat. First thing I want to do is get in the boat and do it Jesus' way. Anyone else? Okay. Praise Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you, Lord, for those that raised their hands, Lord, and I, and I ask, Lord, that you'd help them, Lord, to, to realize the things, Lord, that you've been dealing with them about, Lord. If it's something they need to forsake, Lord, or something that you want them to do, maybe make time for you, Lord, or to reach out to others, whatever it may be, Lord. Maybe they just need to get in the boat and decide that they're going to go to the other side and they're going to listen to you. Lord, I just pray, Lord, that you make a difference in their life. And,